shining a beacon on the bazaar. Christmas, Arky! Oh, Merry Christmas, Skipper. And Merry Christmas to all the listeners. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Because it's Christmas down at Kraken Cove. It and is. It'll be Christmas where you are, I'm uh, guessing. Exactly. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. And, and what a present it is. Double Cove nearly in a couple of weeks. I know, fantastic, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what a gift to the nation. It is a gift to all of mankind. Yeah. Look at you and your little gym jams for Christmas. I was going to say, it's a onesie look. Yeah. Reindeer's on it. It's tight though, isn't it? It is, but I've got one of them, like the Muppet Babies, you know, that bit that, that lifts off your ass. you know, I can just like unbutton it. a little flap. Yeah, a little flap, and then yeah. I can go do these and not take it all off. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Do, what, do you, what do you actually genuinely usually wear on Christmas morning? Uh, gym jams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I've always got like, um, what they call like, lounge pants and a t-shirt. I'm addicted right. to lounge pants. Indoors, jeans, anything normal. Barefoot, lounge pants and a t-shirt. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I don my woolly hat for some reason, just keep warm if I've it's a bit chilly. I've seen you like that. Yeah. yeah the only yeah. thing that keeps you warm is a woolly hat. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I can't handle socks. <laughs> Fucking hate socks. I'm not a massive sock guy. Yeah, they're disgusting. Really are disgusting. They are disgusting, aren't they? They are. My yeah. mate Dave used to call them foot bags. And they are dirty foot bags. I remember yeah. him calling them that. And it, yeah. they are just some filthy thing. Do you know what I don't like about socks? What? Tight cuff around ankle. Yes. Oh my God, I've been scared before when I come up. You know when you're doing some work and you come home and they're really dinted in. You should be, should be with your veiny wheels. Uh, that's what I thought though. Too. It's, it's from both. Black. It's the black foot. <laughs> the black foot. I'll take my shoe off, my foot's still in the shoe. <laughs> I just have to throw it all away. Oh, fuck. I'll foot and everything. Get a little wooden peg with it. That'd be well funny. And a big tiny parrot. <laughs> <laughs> and a squint, not a fully gone eye, but not a little fully squint. gone eye. No, yeah. I see, just just a little squint, like the guy, like the trend off, off um, Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about him today for some weird reason. What like thinking it. about? Yeah, just about boxing, uh, and just thinking about him. Greasy, greasy, speed rock. <laughs> <laughs> you got a shit line in a fist lander. <laughs> you're a bum you're a bum you're a bum <laughs> and that's what I was thinking about does he first do anything when you were thinking that though it's just this slack stare at the yeah slack stare I got into daydreaming a lot more I, I heard some, yeah I heard some other day about daydreaming's good and I thought you know what I'm gonna I've always been into it so I'm daydreaming oh, a hell I daydream of a lot. all the time yeah, that's what I mean but just through my work day I'll just go yeah. monkey for a bit you know what I mean <laughs> or a stroke's happening I don't know which one <laughs> I just gotta drift off, you know yeah. what I mean? It's nice. That's it's a nice thing to do with that, yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe that should be part of your New Year's re- resolution is just to sort of dream more Benny Yeah, dreams. it's gonna be more dream. Yeah, I've got a lot of resolutions this year. Have you? A lot, yes. <laughs> oh, I, I ain't got a huge amount because I've done a lot of them. You've done moment. very well. Yeah, yeah, I've done a lot yeah. of them. I want to do better than what I, at what I'm doing, I think. Yeah, I that's, yeah. that's the sort of thing for me. But yeah. never mind resolutions. It's Christmas Day. This is the day when we indulge ourselves. Exactly. Our so don't worry, I've got the three fish finger roast. Oh. 
the, oh, the is traditional, it the traditional is in. Yes, yeah, so that's it. Now it's an extra big one. Is it? Yeah, it's massive. And it's real. We were also talking about sex toys a lot with fish fingers and no, it's a real one. Don't worry. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I didn't put you. I didn't put your fish finger sex toy in. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it where it is. Yeah, Bedside, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's all in. Is that so? That's absolutely Lovely. fine. You know, so uh, so that's what he's gonna be roasting. The fire's away. on as well, oh, crackling away. Crackling. Yeah, you steady on with the sound effects. <laughs> oh, fireworks are going to back in the mainland. No. Say sorry. <laughs> what else can I Because <laughs> I angels. I can... <laughs> oh, bless you. Bless your hard work. <laughs> well, talk to me a bit more, Chris. Are you missing spies? Do you know what? Since I stopped drinking, I've got a massive sweet tooth. Have you? I never used to eat anything, anything sweet, nothing sweet. Wow, eat yeah. Anything sweet all over Christmas, not even chocolate sweets, nothing, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? This year, fucking all right, I cannot leave them in spies alone. Oh, yeah, because yeah, you, you were them. never sweet, you yeah. were just puddings, no, I'll have a cheese board. Why can't I eat cheese? Oh, that, that is grim. Yeah, so that that's the really thing, upsetting. that's the I've realised that things make me shit through the eye of an eagle, is booze and <laughs> cheese. Shitting out your dick. <laughs> <laughs> Fire what about all cheese? What about um, mozzarella? That's good. No, it's, it's it's stuff with. I can eat a bit of it. Yeah, but it's it's basically a lactose intolerance, not allergy. halloumi. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but it's just a t- I can't oh, eat cheese. Oh God, part. fuck me, that's awful. Yeah, so I just sort of swerve it because it's just that thing of being bloated and sick yeah. feeling the next day and just feeling like absolutely. I just saw a lass at Docks, you know, been to like two buffets and she's a lactose and she's just <laughs> she's been to two buffets. Yeah, you know, like some she double buffet. Yeah, double buffet, basically. But you know, people's houses when they got all sausage rolls and that, she just thought, "Yeah, fuck it." And yeah, she, like, yeah, and oh, she God. had to go to doctors because of it. No, she just—I mean, she looked bad. She really? just. Look, yeah. And she would just say, "I feel so bad." I just, yeah. you know, oh, that's I, what I, that's I what I like, Christ, now. it must be really hard. That. Whereas I've realised now, sweet stuff I can eat sweet stuff, and I really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, I'm absolutely on tons of sugar and caffeine now. So I'm absolutely yeah, off right, my <laughs> Yeah, so no peanuts for you then. You knock them on Ed. Peanut, can't eat peanuts. Oh, Why? Got some sort of allergy to peanuts. What is up with you, kid? Yeah, uh. it's just fucking. There's all these things that I've been wolfing down through the years. That's been making me so ill, and I didn't realise. Well, how come I wolfed them all down? And I'm fine. Because you're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what it is. You didn't eat all your sausages as a kid. That's what you're fucking. What are you fucking fuck? on? You like left a bit of food on your plate that I used to eat. <laughs> well, <I'm> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah, thing. Yeah. Okay, now I grew big and strong, and you're like you're basically you're, a you're... skip rat, though. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, a strong one. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest of all rats, I kid. <laughs> like some awful raccoon. <laughs> they are cute, but they do look vicious, don't they? Yeah, I think I've got like a, I like raccoon. I, I like the you uh, say I like the um, Japanese raccoons of. Oh, legend. you fucking would. Oh you? yeah, but have you not seen them? Um, they've got massive knackers. Have they? They've got the the use the knackers as almost like a superpower thing. Oh wow, they're some like Pokemon the, shit. Yeah, so the knackers, wow. the knackers are actually bigger than themselves. <laughs> they carry them around in wheelbarrows. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to do the new year. We'll have to do um, in a full bore Japanese. Special. Yeah, because what a fascinating culture. Yeah, because yeah. there's no there's no now um now I'm putting um, kids through university at the moment. Yeah. So there's no chance I'm going to get to get to go to Japan. Bye bye, dreams. For you, <laughs> bye bye. You won't be able to eat all anyway. 
<laughs> Saying that I might be right good, actually, Japanese. Might be right good, Japanese. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, all the things that I like and enjoy over there, um, I can I can eat. Oh. It's all it's all good stuff for me. Is that um, apart from the extremely nice sake? They're really great whiskies. I need to try the sake again because um, I tried it once and it was just oily shit. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, "What is that? That's unbearable." Okay, I love it. I love Can sake, you? Yeah. You are supposed to warm it up slightly. Yeah, you? Just I warm didn't. It up, I had yeah. it cold and it was disgusting. Oil, cooking oil or something. It was disgusting. Oh, it's nice. What nice yeah. warm sake. Yeah. So, but you see, that's the thing now. Is what are those little Christmas treats? Or we're going to have? I'm sure everybody's going to get tucked to nice little Christmas treats now. Yeah. But we need to give the listeners our own Christmas. Christmas treats. I'll fucking give them. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell, fire! <laughs> spicy, baby. I am a little bit spicy. You're a Christmas cracker, right? I'm a little elfy oh, Benny God. on a shelf. Oh, man, heck, right. right. Well, without further ado, <laughs> let's get Christmas casting. <laughs> By the way, this is Crack and Curl, the podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> a beacon on the bizarre. It certainly is. And I'm Matt. I'm Benny. So what I've been looking at, so we're going to do things a little bit differently, aren't we, today? Yeah, a little so bit. Just a little tad. bit differently. So, so the tradition that we're going to have, so just to prepare you a little bit, you know, because we want, we want things to be nice, is I've, I found a couple of Christmas mysteries. Oh, nice. So I've only got a couple of little I fucking Christmas fucking love a mystery, me. I love a mystery. I love them all in anything. Yeah, there's no, like, a mystery. Oh, the word, even the word mystery. <laughs> yeah, so where did she go? Yeah, Why didn't she come yeah. back? No, it's a shame with that. So yeah, yeah if you if you're still out there, so yeah, if you do want a great podcast, um, it's so cute. It's yeah, like one season, and it's it. just so show. juicy, and really, nice. really good. Oh, I've got a book recommendation. All right, yeah, um, but it's a little bit dark actually. Yeah, but it's it's really well written, and I really really enjoyed it. Oh, so you've read it already? Yeah, I've read it already. Yeah, so um, I just want because I, you know, we're doing a little recommendation, so I'll do um, I'll do a quick. We haven't done a book for a while, have we? So no, we haven't. So I thought I thought I'd do a quick re- quick record for for a, a decent books. Um, and well, there's a book that I want to read, so I'll start with that first. So a book I really want to read, which um, I don't think it's time yet to, for me to get it for Christmas, so I'm going to buy myself it for Christmas at some point, is uh, um, Ben Tufnell, The North Shore. Why do I know that name, Ben Tufnell? No, you might think, Tufnell, I think Tufnell was a cricket player. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, you might know that, Tuffers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, and that, and this looks really, really good. So a quick synopsis of that. So if you, you, you know, if you, if you use a book you're after... And the hardback, it's about 15 quid is the hardback. Mm. The, the, the paperback's not out till next May. Um, and it just seems really sort of unusual. Um, it says the residents, uh, you don't pass through the North Shore on the way to anywhere else. It's the end of the road. The village was like many along that wild coast, inhabited by those who had always lived there and always would. 
So, and I think when what happens after a massive storm, something washes up on the beach. Something never appeared before. So, I think it looks that I'm dying to read it. Yeah, that's really, 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 really yeah. good. Yeah. But the uh, the book that I'm reading, I've just finished reading, is uh, the yeah the book is called The Wall um, by uh, John Lanchester. Oh, yeah. And fucking hell, what an intense book that oh, yeah. is, right? Um, it's a, it's long listed for the uh, 2019 Booker Prize. Mm. So it's a really good one. And basically what it is, it's about this lad and he gets sent to the wall. Right. And the wall now completely encases the entirety of England. All oh. the way around the whole of the coast of England, right? Shit. And dotted along the wall is, is these guys, that like these, these kind of watchers. Mm-hmm. Who were looking out for the others coming trying to get into England? It's like a super sort of like it's almost like how things are with it's the, like a Brexit dream. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it's like. It's yeah. like a little bit like that. But they're kind of trained to fight these anyone coming in. So they're all. It's just like ordinary lads. It's like it's like national service. Wow. Our lads and lasses. Everybody has to do it. Is they it post apocalyptic or? N- Sort of a little bit, yeah. yeah but it's more post sort of natural disaster sort of thing. Yeah. They got so machine guns. They've got spears. But machine, oh, it's like modern times. They've right, all got yeah. a pub. They've got mobile phones. Yeah, got, yeah, so all that's working. changed now is they have to grow all the all the all the food they need from England yeah, now in England. To, in England. Yeah. And the, the rising sea levels has completely consumed all the beaches. But they've, yeah. they've drawn this protective wall to keep the sea out and to keep the others out, wow, which is everybody like else who's trying to get in. Yeah. Out there. But the rules are. That if you let somebody in, say, for example, if you're trying to fight the others away and say, like, 10 get over the wall, 10 of your troop get put to sea. Oh. So that's like. That equals the number, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean? that's it. Sort of 10 oh. in, 10 out sort of thing. It's oh, like that. God. Yeah. And it's a brilliant book, really that dark and sinister Ooh. and unusual. But So that's my little grim Christmas little, oh, little, little very good. Yeah, so, so going back to it, so you got your mystery story. Yeah. You said you're gonna do. Let oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> fucking lucky, are you? lucky I'm here, isn't he? This fucker. <laughs> <laughs> you keep us on track, our kid. Aye. So this is a bit of a weird one, is this right? This is the combustion of Matilda Rooney. Ooh. Right. So a farmhand named John Larson spent Christmas 1885 with his employers Patrick and Matilda Rooney, an elderly couple who lived just outside Seneca, Illinois. They shed several drinks before Larson retired for the evening and went upstairs to bed. But sometime during the night, he underwent a coughing fit and had trouble breathing, but soon drifted back to sleep. Mm. Now, he wasn't used to having a coughing fit, so that could be, yeah, you weren't sure whether it's pertaining to the thing. But anyway, when Larson woke up on Christmas morning, traces of soot were on his pillow. Larson went downstairs and was shocked to find Patrick dead in his bed- bedroom. Yeah. Matilda was nowhere to be found. But later that day, Larson wandered into the kitchen and found a large blackened hole in the floor. <laughs> it rested alongside what appeared to be the charred remains of a human foot. A pile of ash was inside the hole, and this was all that was left of Matilda Rooney. Shit. She yeah. How did you say combustor blown up? Combustion. Yeah. Spontaneous human combustion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. that's what it was. So it seems that Matilda was a victim of spontaneous human combustion, which caused her entire body to catch fire and burn to ashes. And the estimated temperature of the fire that consumed her was 1,400 degrees cent- uh, Celsius. Right? Um, but there's no other sign of fire damage anywhere else. 
Um, so they later determined that Patrick had died of smoke inhalation, right? God. Uh, and um, that explains that Larson's coughing fit in the night. Yeah, it was, was soot all was over. Soot. But it wasn't ordinary smoke. Ugh. What happens in these situations is the fat is almost rendered into the air. I've heard because it, it's like a candle. That's why they get to a sort of extraordinary heat. So they can the fat can act as a candle. That's it's like, you know. Well, it, it does act as a wick, but to what for for a, for the fat to act as a wick under this condition for a slow burn or a slow melt, it would take. It wouldn't take a night. Yeah, it'd take a lot longer. It'd, it'd be, I think they've done it before, and I think it takes like days for yeah. it to work to, for it for the 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 fact to render yeah. and turn into a possible wicking material or wicking solution. You know, uh, unless the fire's that hot, like the funeral pyres on the fucking Indian Ganges. Is it Ganges? Yeah, yeah, uh, and but. I'm actually a believer in spontaneous human combustion. I am, yeah. yeah some there's, there's too much in it for people to say, oh, well, actually, it's a wicking thing. And like, yeah. No, I, I'm done with that. I think there's something else happening. But then people say, oh, but it's, it's mostly water. People are mostly water. How yeah. can that happen? But if there's, there's something happening, some, there's some condition, there's some sort of occurrence, there's some... Add up yeah, of like, yeah exactly. we don't know, do we? Even like the... You know, you don't know what a ghost is. But you know, there's been so many sightings of it. Like you go, you don't know what human combustion. It could be fucking anything. Let's say if twenty thousand um, multi-dimensional women meet at the same point or something. You know what right. I mean? It just turns into the sun. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be fucking anything. Yeah, it? it could be. You know, but uh, but I think this. I think these what when it does happen. I think there's something because I I I've read a couple of accounts before where a guy's woke up and he's basically breathing fire, Shit. and I think there's potentially something happening in the gut. Right. That's my yeah, inter- my yeah. so my thing is that I think there's something because we've got a lot of acid in our stomach. Yeah, garbage eater like me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you are the human trash compactor. <laughs> but it's easy, isn't it? Mixing all things together. I, I think there could be some sort of, Yeah, like, I think there's yeah. a lot of things going on in the stomach. I mean, it's like this. Say within the stomach, there's enough acid to sort of burn off a penny or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's things that the body can do. And I'm just a feeling that there could be something going on where it could there's a right you know all the the awful stars align yeah you know yeah. you could end up with an absolutely ter- uh, terrible conclusion. She want Nate fire. Was she just was she on a chair or just a fucking crate? Well, I don't know. They don't know really. There. There's That's there's really no sort of thing. So she weird. might have set on fire, but if she'd set on fire, she'd have moved or done something. Yeah. Quite often with spontaneous human combustion, there is a there's like a fire or a source of a fire nearby. Yeah, yeah. So there's something that could sort of set things. Going, yeah, so in like a thief breaking in, knocking on head and burning a body. In no, 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 yeah. I don't think it's anything like that. No, because but again, it's for, for the thing to be so isolated. Say, for example, you're doused in an accelerant, mm. the fire would just spread everywhere, yeah. in the ceiling and everything. It, yeah. it, it burns in a particularly intense, localized way. That's weird, isn't and it? You can light farts as well, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, our kid. I see it all ripples around your balls, and that is disgusting. No, that's what it's yeah. What a bad smell as well. Yeah, I, Singeing pubes. Oh, and I always think it's going to go up and fuse and fuse your balls short. You just think that's yeah, imagine a, that. That's what I mean. It's a terrifying, silly thing to do if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, I'd like to know. I'd like to know the worst accident ever from a lit fart. Yeah, not I'd with like, a firework. But I've seen some awful things. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But that's just stupid. But yeah. lighting a fart. I mean, that's just hijinks. Yeah, exactly. I bet it, it, it's ended badly. So. Somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Can you get a backdraft? 
That's what I mean. You could suck in, or so, let's say you you, sh- you shocked him halfway through, and it could like suck the fire up and close the sphinx. <laughs> Do you remember that lad called James we went to school with? Which one? There were a lot of James. Right, uh, I'm gonna bleep his name. Is James? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. I bleep his name. Well. Because we were talking about that fart thing, you used to be like, you can't do it anymore. When you were a kid, you used to do all this stuff because we didn't have the internet. (laughs) But where you'd be a fart and then relax and suck it back in. No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so we... Uh, we we'll suck his own fart back in. Sort of suck air back in. All oh, right. Ugh. Right. So there's a thing you can do. What everybody or just no. James? So when we were talking about it, and we were sort of a load of mates, we were all talking about. It. He said, "You know, I think you know when you fart, then you suck it back in, and you get a bit of a rhythm going." Oh. <laughs> and it's like, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> they the best conversations out there. You're like, you just so like what? Like, yeah. So we sort of described it a bit more, right? We described it more, and they said, "Good, right." So what do you do? So, so what you do? Is your sort of best way to do it is to sort of like get on your shoulders a bit, you know, so to lean your back yeah. and push your ass up in the air with your hands. Are you it's... telling him this? Yeah. All oh, right, so you're just messing with his head? No. Right. Oh, you've done this? Yeah, I've done this. I'm not going to do it now for the show. Uh, I'm a 50 year old man. <laughs> but why were you doing it back then? Yeah, because I don't know. Because <laughs> you could. Because we didn't have the internet. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so what you do is you sort of fart and push out. But when, you know, because he has. Before it shuts. And before it shuts, he can sort of suck back in. So you sort of go. Oh my god. And then you've sucked some air and you've reloaded it. Uh. And then you can go. Oh, Matt, that is fucking wrong, you dirty bitch. You dirty. I don't care about internet or your age. That is fucking. What are you doing? Keep your head. Oh, look at my time is even proper leather. Can't you doing it? So anyway, we were describing it to him, and he's like, he's, he was fascinated. It was, it was absolutely to him. It was like you know, he's finding some sort of like ink and gold. Or something. It was just like, yeah. do you do like some yeah, yeah, yeah. the rock of Mantubi? You can find it. Anyway, he came back next day, right? And he said, and he looked right sheepish, right? I says, well, what happened? Then he says. And apparently what happened was he'd done what we'd said, right? And he said, but anyway, he'd been in his pants. Yeah. And he was trying to do it. Then he thought thought to himself, no, actually, the pants are holding me yeah, back. Yeah, filterization. Filtering eyes, they're holding me back. So he knew the only way to do this. <laughs> fucking was please. As, that. as God intended, right? <laughs> Did he spit chod all over the room? <laughs> so anyway, he's fucking there with his ass in there, right? He's trying to relax. He's just trying to... Because it's hard to relax in a situation like yeah, that. Yeah, but right? it is. <laughs> so he managed to push out a fart, right? So... <laughs> that, then, fucking hell. Oh, God. Then... He sucked. Oh, oh man. And then he gave it a push. <laughs> <laughs> he says he just felt this massive elation. He'd managed it. He'd mastered the art. Right? And he's pushing out and he's laughing and laughing. He's pushing and sucking and pushing and sucking and pushing. And, pushing. <laughs> oh, and he just said, James, what's he doing? <laughs> He's watching him, he fucking ginger webs everywhere. He's <laughs> so arsehole open in the corner. <laughs> and him laughing his cock off. <laughs> oh, God, man. That's not, that is the worst story you've done on crack and go. That is fucking shameful. You're going to try it, though. That's my hell. You are. My, hell, my ass is too fuzzy. <laughs> Spitting chod all over. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> where Jesus, the fuck did we get I don't that? know. Human combustion. 
We're all so right. we had spontaneous human combustion. But I know we're on about farts and if they had a backdraft. So yes. what happens if, if James had any arsehole pulled up yeah. and you lobbed a match in? Oh, you just got oh, mum was smoking. <laughs> <laughs> just tapped ashes in my mouth. What are you doing? <laughs> James, what are you doing? Oh, God, no. I How don't want to try explain it. it. How did you find that out, Matt? I don't know. He was running, I think he's. It's the law that was passed down to me, and I tried it, and everybody. Mm. Yeah, somebody, somebody my was, nipper's too tight. Oh, I'm not going to get into this. One, <laughs> <laughs> that, just Let's can't. draw a veil over the whole proceedings. Yes, please. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you fucky tap. Right, so the uh, the next sleigh out of uh, the <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah. So this is another mystery. Oh, go this, on. And I find this, and we'll see what you think about this. This is weird, right? This is a person who became known as the Christmas tree lady. Right, right, and um, and it's kind of sad, but. It, you know, it's weird. So it's it's like it says here. It's a very sad occurrence when a person is found dead and no one knows their true identity. Mm. If the victim cannot be identified, he's called a John or Jane Doe. Now we know this from all those. That's stuff, just American, isn't it? We yeah. we'd never use. That, no, we don't. We're, it's a different sort of thing. So this yeah, is in America. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I just. But yeah, to... but it's true. But uh, we don't, we don't have that kind of thing here. Yeah, mm. it's a di- I bet there's somewhere else. Yeah, there might be somewhere else. I don't know what it is really. So this situation occurs many times per year, but in 1996, one particular Jane Doe made a concerted effort to ensure her identity remained a mystery. On December the 18th, a woman was found lying dead atop a plastic sheet in Annandale, Virginia, at the Pleasant Valley Memorial Park Cemetery. So she's done all the work for him. She's got a plastic sheet out, she's leaked herself out, she's in the cemetery, right? She was approximately 60 years old and carried no identification. Brandy and Valium were found in her system. A plastic bag was taped over her head. She had asphyxiated. It seemed she did not want anyone to know her identity as she had a note which read, Deceased by own hand, prefer no autopsy, signed Jane Doe. Oh, God. Jane also requested requested to be cremated and left behind two $50 bills to cover the expense. The scene contained many strange clues about this mysterious woman's background. She had set up a miniature Christmas tree beside her and decorated it. She also had a portable tape player and comedy tapes in her possession. She died with headphones on, listening to the famous 2,000-year-old man comedy routine by Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. Oh, wow. The most intriguing aspect of Jane Doe's suicide was that she was found in the section of the cemetery where deceased infants were buried. Sadly, no one has ever come forward to identify Jane Doe, 
and her motivation remains a mystery. God, so it, oh man, I thought you were going to say someone's dug in it and managed to find it. No. Well, you think he's one of the infants here? She never yeah, got over it. No, God, no, what no. a mixture. Just to think, right, this is it. I'm going to lay out, might as well make it happy, make sure yeah. I'm, I'm not thinking of anything sad, get fucked up, listen to a comic. <laughs> <to them>. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, this is it. It's just sort of it's it's a weird mystery. But the thing is, there you, you'd imagine that someone somewhere would know all those little bits about her, yeah, and who she is, yeah. and everything. You know, she's pretty switched on. Perhaps with those things, she must have had like a prescription to actually get hold of the, the, exactly. the medication. But no, it's just you know with the care that she's done, I'd reckon it's totally out of state. But she came from there when she's younger, and I reckon it's yeah. like the, one of the infants there were you know. Of hers, and she just kind of hit rock bottom in her life, and just thought, well, it all went south since, since yeah. then. You know what I mean? Or and it, oh god, that's a sad, it's a sad one, isn't it? That yeah, it's a sad one, I, I like the balls to her though, just to kind of like you know to choose. You know, you're not jumping off a bridge and everybody's scraping you up and up people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's a tidy know. solution. It is, yeah. And, yeah. and she, it also shows great amount of control. Yeah. That she's yeah, done yeah. that. Yeah. yeah and like it's that. like sort of self-discipline control, she sort of says, and she's master of her own destiny. Yeah, she? definitely. You know? And that. Do you know the um, the comedy script thing? I've... Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Is it? I yeah, love yeah, yeah it, it's, If you get a chance to listen to it, I think it's on YouTube. Um, it is and the main thing. I think they made it into like a cartoon. All right. And they eventually uh, they did a, uh, a, a like a comic strip yeah, kind of yeah. thing to cover around it. Yeah. But the original one was just like uh, Carl Reiner was intro- uh, uh, interviewing Mel Brooks as the two thousand year old man, uh-huh. and it's his what he's seen through his life and what his opinion. Funny as fuck yeah. it is. It's absolute genius. Mel Brooks is a genius. He it's is. No two ways yeah, about it. You know what I mean? When yeah. you look at the films he's done, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's all right. Some of them you can class has been quite problematic but I don't think, I don't look at him like that he's just absolutely firebrand and daring you know the uh, I watched I think it's, I have to do it every year now but on Halloween I watched the young Frankenstein quite early in day uh, and that is James. I read a little bit about it that Jim Wilder yeah, yeah. Uh, he said I'll do it but you can't appear in it he really? Said, he said, that's the only thing I'll do. You know, Why? He said, because you had like another silly element and yeah. we're nearly verging on stage. We've got the props from the f- proper Frankenstein. Everybody's doing it deadpanning away. Yeah, that's true. And you just, there's something about your head. Because <laughs> 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 you know, it is, isn't it? Yeah. You think Blazing Saddles, you're there. And as soon as you see his cross eyes and that, it changes the game, you know what I mean? tell you what, but what about his secretary? Oh, don't. That's one of those things that first watching that. Yeah, thinking, yeah. Oh. Something's come alive in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> my super Ted pajamas have come alive on there. <laughs> Everything's changed for me yeah, now. Yeah, she was super. Some women back there were like hot in a different way, and they're, they're not about anymore. Other than no, kind of women, no, it's, like, it's the Raquel Welsh kind of. Look, yeah, yeah. It? You know what I mean? Yeah, she was super hot. Yeah. Another fact as well that he says, um, you know the. Hands on the rich! You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my brother's like, nope, not doing it. And he's like, what do you mean, no, we are doing it? He says, well, convince me. And he begged and he pleaded two o'clock phone calls, you know, morning, no, we're doing it, we've got to yeah. do it because of this, that, that, All right, do it. That is- like, what do you mean? I've, you put me through so much shit. He says, no, I want to see if it were right. I couldn't imagine it, but I wanted to see if you were that dedicated to that yeah. scene because it is one of the highlights oh, to it's it. One it of the you know what I mean? It's it, it pinnacles, really, at that scene. Does the and movie, again, it's it? his face just is so funny. <laughs> 
so funny, so sensible as well. He's yeah. mild, just like, yeah, look what I've done. It's, <laughs> he's so proud. But he's like shouting and stuff, he's trying to get it right. It's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> God, we ramble on. Yeah, let's move on quick, guys. Yes. Right, so we've got a little bit of a change of scene here. Mm. So that the whole of the Kraken Cove has been flipped on its head. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Benny takeover. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having this one. Well, we were on about Antarctic, weren't we, the other week? And we were on about what Buzz Aldrin saw down there, you know? Oh, I mean? right, yeah. And we didn't have a lot of detail. You said you were going to go into it. I thought you were going to go into it as well. So I, I have done. Of... Have you looked into it yet? A little bit. Yeah, I've done fucking loads, actually. Okay. <laughs> have, you, yeah. have you? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. You said you haven't. No, but obviously I've researched it. Oh, shit. Obviously <laughs> I've researched Are you little bellend. Have you? Yeah. Is this a trick? Is this a trap? No, because it's when you suggest I always do my homework for the oh, show. Oh, do you? Right. Oh, that's good. So you might be... <laughs> Luckily, Matt's done his homework because I've done yeah. really shit at mine. <laughs> you better fill in some blanks All right. Here. Okay. You, well, you take the lead. You take the reins. Like, All right. Let's yeah. see where we go. So, back in... This is the first reports of it, you know what I mean? So I'm going back to 1920, you know right. what I mean? And oh, I'm going right. straight okay. to the Nazis, you know what I mean? But there were, like, three, like... Oh! <laughs> Three sisters. Can you believe? Yeah, you beat that. Is it the Mitford sisters? Yeah. Okay, carry on. Well, they started. They were on about you know being. At a, um, they were having visions, and they started getting contact with like uh, beings from another universe or on Earth, but they were like interdimensional beasts. And they started promising like a place on Earth that we've got uh, the Aryan race. You know, Aryan, yeah. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> but they said they're somewhere on Earth, and they started talking and chatting. And said there's a whole wealth of information. You know what I mean? They yeah. finally found out that it were in Antarctica. Yeah. So they're like, wow, let's tell the Nazis. You know, that dude with the tash. So Hitler found out about it, and yeah. he's like, I'm having some of that. So it before war, and he's like, right, I need a couple of subs, you know what I mean, and something to go down uh, down south. And they're all, we're about to go to war, Hitler, and he's like, I don't care, uh, we'll go for margarine. And this is true, you can lead it research that much, did you? We'll go for margarine. Germans, crazy about margarines at the time. Fuck butter, they were right into Marge. <laughs> Fuck butter. <laughs> yeah, and they were like, we're going to go all with Europe. They're not going to give us all whale fat, you know what I mean? We need to find his own whale fat. So he said, I've got an idea. We'll go down to South Pole, we'll get his own whale, and we'll make his own Marge. And they're like, all right, you can have a couple of boats. So he does. <laughs> We've all switched off. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the consummate professional. Exactly. So, they were there. So, have you heard of the Order of the Black Sun? No. Yeah, well, I couldn't really find much about them, but apparently <laughs> <laughs> they're well involved. <laughs> so, he goes down. Um, That's quite the rabbit hole, I guess. But it kind of strikes gold. He goes down there and you start seeing like anti-gravity, magnetically steered flying discs and stuff. And it's it's like a honeycomb is Antarctica. There's that five mile ice sheet going up. Yeah. But underneath it, it's just proper rabbit holes. You know what I mean? You can go into oh, it. Right. Proper Doug. What's that? Doug McLean or Doug? Doug McClure. Yeah, Doug McClure shit. You know what I mean? I think Doug McClure with that. But you know when they're trying to get his used to the idea of things, you know what I mean? Right. The land that time forgot. Because apparently, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. there's Operation... So they did that first, you know what I mean? He sends his boys down, they start making friends with aliens, and they start... Well, you know, why aliens? 
Well, they're there. In, now, haven't you been listening? In Starfall. <laughs> <laughs> them sisters told him about it, didn't oh, right, All yeah, that technology. Yeah. Well, that. no, they, they, I didn't know they were actually there because the, it's three sort of like three sisters. Well, I'm a bit like that with it because I don't think he finds it straight away on first right, mission. Okay. You know what I mean? But he goes and looks for it and he gets his margarine. Germans are happy anyway. Would- Right, okay. Yeah, so he gets the whale fat to make some margarine. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, everybody's happy. Then he thinks, I must go back. I must go back at the end of the war. Or, you know, war ends and he's trying to get his... He's found a little bit because he's trying to make them UFOs, won't he? Yeah. Remember that? Um, um, yeah, so he goes, at the end of the well, he, he doesn't die in bunker and he doesn't go to South America. He goes near South America, straight back to South Pole, Yeah. Right. Are you following? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, war ends and it's about 19, I don't know, about 49. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an American ship goes down. <laughs> They're sailing along, all like innocent and stuff. And a sub <laughs> boils up straight next to them. Full on Nazi submarine. And but they train the guns on the ship and they said, right, stop there. You know what I mean? We, we don't mean you any harm, but we want to trade. You know what I mean? You've got to trade with us or we'll fucking blow you out of water. And they're like, all right, what do you want to trade? And they, they just want food and beans and like margarine and stuff like that. <laughs> 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 the proper man for it, Harkin. <laughs> <laughs> so the swap and then blow a little up the bubble off again. You know what I mean? Never right, what ship is it they've come up next to? Just like some American boat. You know what I mean? Like a scouting vessel type. I can't find it. We're on another oh, podcast. Right. Have you ever um, bedtime stories? Oh yeah, yeah. We're on that, and I can't find his episode again. So what's going wrong with it? You know what I mean? Now I'm going to do that research. I couldn't find it. Right. Uh, but the, the issue, the issue you have with submarines. Well, I've got loads of subs to come. All right. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, you know I, won't, I, mean? I won't start going on at subs. Yeah. So, on. so America heard about this, and they're like, "Let's launch Operation High Jump." Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. So they said, "Right, we need an expedition going down to the South Pole just for scientific reasons." But yeah. two aircraft carriers, fifty aeroplanes, submarines, boats, everything—they go down. They get near it, and plop, 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 straight out of the sea comes UFOs, and they start shooting straight at the Americans. Americans fire back and get their asses kicked, you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> really okay. bad. They hightail they it, you know what I mean? Um, oh, uh, one bit, another uh, expedition go back, and they manage to get in the submarine and go down one at Honeycombs, you know what I mean? And right. it's proper dug shit, is this? They come up, and it's like this proper ice, you know, like valley, this like beautiful valley, and it's full of Nazis <laughs> and flying saucers. <laughs> And the end of the day, they start laying booby traps and all the rest of it, and then they have to run off, you know, because Nazis see them and they start shooting at them. Is this a film? No, <laughs> it's just what I found. It's all a bit jumbled up. But they run Who down. You're about daydreams again. <laughs> <laughs> they run down this tunnel, but there's like this yeti dude, you know what they call it? A polar man. A polar man, and he runs off. Um, what happened? Well, let me get. I'm getting a bit mixed up now. <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. Because apparently it's like volcanic power down there. That's what aliens all right, and Nazis yeah. are using. It's all honeycomb and that. Would and you, I mean, would you, to be fair, I mean, I'll stick up for that because that's that's what the main geothermal energy or yeah. geothermal energy. That's what Iceland runs on. That exactly. Yeah. And they've got lakes under, and this is proven. They've got the biggest underwater lakes. What's a lake that's sealed? You know, you can't get to it. It's like a sealed environment. Oh, 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 there is a word for it. Isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. They've got the biggest on the planet. Was it Lake Vo- 
Vostok was for a, for a long well, time. It, yeah, yeah. That's like that. They, they've got two or three humongous things that haven't seen air. You know, haven't yeah. seen outside since di- well before dinosaurs. You know, could have evolved completely. Yeah. Russians tried to drill down one time, but it was too deep. Um, but they also say that the Earth don't. Have you heard of that when the North becomes the South? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they're saying it's all the way around. You know, I mean, it can flip that way, then what? it can flip sideways as well. So the South Pole can be equator countries. You know what I mean? They can oh, be, all right. I'm yeah, you know, and there's supposed to be certain. Well, no, Hugh. What you got to think about that though is it's that's just magnetism. Yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't flip. It wouldn't become like equatorial. It'd mean the whole world would have to rotate on its axis, and it can't yeah. physically do that because the the, the Earth isn't um, a, a perfect sphere. Yeah, it's egg shaped. Yeah. Maybe Germans don't like fucking margarine. I don't want to tell the fucking story. <laughs> Spoil it. <laughs> right, you carry on, Arkin. Right, so that switches up and down. Size of Antarctic, two times bigger than Australia. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to go. Ooh. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's the biggest lakes I've done. That they've had cosmic rays shooting out of Antarctica. You know, you get some cosmic rays shooting at Earth. Yeah, uh, they've had stuff shoot out of Antarctica. Have you? But no, what, what is this? You, 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 just you documented cases. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, 1972, and it was December when that happened. <laughs> what's this where, where's it <laughs> sorry <what? laughs> All right, I ain't gonna prove this you've been researching don't write <laughs> I was eating bath I didn't have a <laughs> <laughs> right okay carry on then. I had a couple of beers and I wrote down bases I thought oh I remember that day and I don't have <laughs> so weird people that have been to uh, Antarctic yeah yeah the Pope <laughs> <laughs> okay, which one? John fucking Kerry. Uh, I don't know. One at <laughs> I don't know. So, Prince Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that racing car driver, is it Louis Hamilton? Oh, He's Louis been. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, you know that singer, that weird oh, singer? Oh, yeah. yeah. That Jared, Jared Leto, you know, yeah, really weird Joker, one. bad Joker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, did he do bad Joker? Yeah, he was, he was, was it Suicide Squad or something? Oh, I don't I know. know he was in one of the... Yeah, Jared I thought that dude from... Um, that new uh, Blade Runner movie, you know the. the he's the, in that as well. Yeah. Oh, is that That's Jared Leto. Oh god. Yeah. Um, and this is my better. Oh no. Yeah. This is the best one. Epstein went, and this is true shit, right? Okay. He actually went, but I'm thinking on another. This is true. This is proper true, right? I don't know if he went with Maxine or not. You know what I mean? What's the name? Uh, his bird, uh, Colleen Maxwell. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the danger on your face, then. Um, <laughs> I thought but, we were back, I thought, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she obviously she, you know, she could drive a boat and all the rest of it. Did you know she were a submarine? She was licensed submarine driver. <laughs> submarine, <laughs> submarine driver. Oh, Captain, what do you call it? A sub, submarine. Sub, submariner. Oh, well, yeah, nearly yeah, there. Yeah. So I reckon he went down in submarine. You know what I mean? She's driving a purple uniform. That's all I imagine <laughs> through honeycombs, our kid. You know what I mean? Trying to get a new island and that. Yeah. Uh, and global warming. Uh, they want to stop global warming really because they don't want all the ice sheets to melt and obviously wake the old gods. Um, and have you heard of the Ross Ice Shelf? Yeah. Yeah, and it sings, doesn't it? It's like a singing noise. Right, okay. It's supposed to sound like Ross from Friends as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a five-story blood waterfall. Have you heard of that one? What, what are you on about? This is Antarctica, right, kid. Okay. It's not can't be made of blood. 
It's not as rust or something, you know, but it looks like blood. But it's five right, stars okay, out, right. you know what I mean? And when, let's go back to Buzz, you know, when he went down there in 2016 and he took pictures of an ice pyramid that's supposed to be ten times bigger than the Egyptian ones, he posted a picture of it, suddenly he's got oxygen on his lungs, but everybody said it was too much for him, he saw something in the pyramid, he had an heart attack that got him out of there. And when he got back, he posted the picture of the pyramid and he said, we are all in danger, this is evil itself. See, that's that's the nugget that I like yeah. the sound of, you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. he did go down there and he did have a massive health scare and they did have to kind of ship him out super, yeah, super yeah. fast and stuff, you know what I mean? God, that will mess you. That will mess you <coughs> with a thought. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Covered a lot, though, there, didn't I? I didn't even get on to egg skulls. Egg skulls. Do you know what it was like? You were like spreading margarine on set. <laughs> you covered a lot. <laughs> Apparently, though, Germans fucking love it. I don't know why, it's disgusting, isn't it? I've never had it. Give up. We used to have margarine as a kid. We didn't. We used to have vegetable spread. True oh. margarine is extremely high fat, extremely bad for you. Oh. We didn't have. It was caught, It was basically like sunflower spread or something like that. We've never eaten margarine. Oh, so True margarine really is just like solid fats, and it's oh. absolutely fucking dreadful for is you. Is it like dripping? And worse. Ooh, I love dripping. That, ah, that's yeah. what I mean. This sounds like you're yeah. tempting me on that Beef one. Beef dripping. Yeah. And I know, I know a friend of mine. He he's of Polish origin, and they used to have a, like a dripping pot. Ooh. So all the meats drippings went into the dripping pot. Oh yeah. And it fucks your heart up. Oh, Benny, you can tell. Have you ever been to that? There's that um, bottle pot pubs and that like a chain of. It's like a um, steakhouse thing. You know, Horsworth Roundabout at bottom? Yeah, yeah. There's like a... Or something Carter. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You can get different sauces. Wow, that's got like a, a dripping sauce once. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. And I dipped a chip in. And I'm like, fuck it up. Next time I went, I'm like, give me two of those dripping things. You know what I mean? Jesus. And it's so tasty. And you can could, you could feel the damage. Do you know who'd love I, it there? Yeah. Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get them out. Yeah, Don't get them out. Yeah. So yeah. out. You know what I mean? I shall have two of the dripping pots, exactly. please. Exactly. You're there in June. I'm here. I've done it. I beat you. And there's still <laughs> so let's have a good little quick and we're not going to go through all of it right? yes we're not going to go through it so do you honestly think the nazis are living in south in in antarctica yes and that's why epstein went and what she was wearing purple uniform and that right <laughs> suits her though doesn't it purple yeah, it kind of does in a way yeah she's got that kind of bond villainesque yeah, kind of, yeah. you know driving a little mini sub with evil epstein <laughs> Oh, it's scary, isn't it? All that shit going on down there. <laughs> scary, isn't it? Massive leap. What a leap. <laughs> right, summer's, summer's weird with it. The more you look at it, though, it's really fucking freaky. Why? What do you mean, why? You can't fly over it. You're not allowed there. The issue you have with flying over somewhere like that is because it's such a massive landmass. And it's... So if you were if to fly over it and something went wrong... Yeah, fuck. Well, yeah, but it's up to your own choice. There's a, there's a clean air part of it you can't fly over. Right. Other well, I agree of... with that as well. I yeah, I do. You know, yeah, all the parts of it that are really funny about who goes there and visits it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just find it like one of them places where we signed an agreement so long ago. And, you know, you can go to the North Pole. Not like that's happening at North Pole, but it's such a massive landmass. Well, there's no land under the North Pole. Oh. It's all ice. But the reason that South Pole... But there's a massive landmass under the South Pole, but mm. the issue you have there, they, they, they are basically preserving that. It's the last pristine wilderness, and they're trying to sort of stop it from... Sort of... 90% of the world's ice is there. Yeah, amazing, 90%, isn't it? 90%, it's crazy. Would you go? Yes. 
I'd have to have proper, you know, like the thing. I'd grow a big beard like McReady and I'd have his leather jacket on and <laughs> yeah. shit. I'd do that with, with chest machine cheating, bitch. Then I'd get my flamethrower and then, yeah, I would go. Uh, right, <laughs> but cool. I want a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all fair enough. <laughs> well, you go, just to go on it, what don't you think? Nothing, Nothing's weird going on at Southport. I, I think with the Southport, I just kind of... There's a few areas down there I really want to go visit. Um, one of them is a whaling station that's very, very close. It's in the uh, south, southern Arctic, you know, Antarctic Circle. It's in yeah, that yeah. area there. And this is a place where all the British and Scottish whalers used to go down on like the whaling station. They went down there's like rendering plants wow. all on this island. God, and, and, and they all just well, they all just left. Yeah. And and but you can go through. And there's still like books on the side. It's like a wow, proper horn. Time machine. Yeah, time machine yeah, and stuff. There's yeah. cans and these still sort of you know, on the shelves and things. Wow. And I really there's something sad and tragic. But there's also this something about the loneliness and the absolute solitude of this yeah, weird yeah. place where people were so busy and there's still people alive today going, yeah, we used to go down there and lend all the wheels and yeah, yeah. be great. And yeah. you think, can you imagine that being your job where they just send you to the other side of the world away yeah. from your family to hunt, is, kill yeah. and render whales. Oh, and they used to have these massive, like a, big, like a big flensing table, which was something like a big winch which would just haul the whales out. Yeah. And it just just hack these whales to strips. And you think... Jesus. This is in living memory for somebody who were doing this. Yeah, yeah. And I, so that's somewhere I want to go. And I think that's absolutely creepy and weird and odd. Um, I think as far as actually activity in the Antarctic area, landmass concert, no, I don't think there's anything weird going no, on. No Nazis there. are nothing. No. No aliens? No. No, I think it's all just too cold. Do you know the thing that says it for me, that? Is because Greenland mm. is so much more accessible. We're all saying, oh, the, the world's getting too crowded, we've got nowhere to live, right? Greenland is there. Mm. It is fucking huge, and about 80 people live there. It's not green, though, is it? <laughs> it's not green, <laughs> no. But the, what, right, what, what gets me is everyone's going to go to Mars. Everyone's trying to get to Mars. Get off England, yeah, quick. Yeah. We, uh, England's fucked, let's get to Mars. Right, if the... If, go to Greenland. Yeah. Greenland's I won't be like, rushing to Mars, me. No. I'm not rushing to Mars. Nobody should be rushing to Mars. I won't be ra- rushing to fucking Greenland, either. Yeah, but, but what I mean is the options there. If, yeah. but if you wanted, right, most of us are living in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. If we wanted to go somewhere remote and strange, the answer to that question is go to Greenland. Yeah. If we want to access somewhere where you can live, which is remote and nobody's going to check up on you, Greenland. I don't like, think they would have found the Nazis there. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I don't think there's any Nazis doing it. You don't need you know, Nazis. The Nazis are from Germany. Don't need to be hiding anywhere. Yeah. They're all over the fucking world at the moment, yeah, mate. Yeah, just, you could just be walking down the street in the uniform yeah. and somebody go, good on you. Oh, yeah. yeah so there's no need weird, to hide. Yeah. But back in day, yeah, you had to hide after the Second uh, World War. No, because of the rat, uh, the, you know, the rat lines and stuff, which yeah. took them across from sort of like bit through through the good old Catholic Church. Oh, priest lines are called as well. Yeah, well, that's the way it was priest lines, rat lines, same same thing yeah. that were yeah. And um, they were they were just shipping them down there because they said, well, we actually you know, I know the Nazis were naughty, but they were no nowhere. At least they believed in a god. Yeah. Uh, and the the and because they say communism was the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone, because yeah, that would yeah. just be the decimation and end of the whole of the Catholic and Christian faith, because yeah. that's what they wanted to do. But there was 
a lot. One thing he did go on about there, which was like an expedition, expedition mm-hmm. down to the South Pole for what they were doing, trying to find stuff and like almost like they did go on massive quests. Yeah, did the Nazis? They went to go find the Holy Grail. They, they went to the Himalayas to try and find the, the home of the Aryan race. Yeah, yeah, they did do all these runs and missions and things. So half those things that you're talking about there, yeah, they, they were recurring. Mm-hmm. So these these crazy batshit things, and there's every chance they were on some mad submarine missions to go down. Yeah, pretending to get margarine, but actually trying to find out if certain members no, are true. They did like margarine, but I, I did get you made the margarine. Up. No, no, no. They, they did go down for margarine. You know what I mean? But I think they went down for that as well. But I blended them two together. Right. Okay. <laughs> then, yeah. But yeah, as far like as I'm concerned, my jury's out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm met up, man. I'm like getting my fucking flamethrower on, grabbing a margarine sandwich. I'm gonna go kick some nasty ass. <laughs> Oh, fuck it I'll tash off. <laughs> fuck you know. Whoa, a bit more messy than I thought that. It's it looks, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's pretty tough, is that? Pretty tough, even with all that research. <laughs> Sometimes I like to Google that. Uh, really saggy team team. <laughs> the fucking world out there, that kid. Oh, we are recording that. <laughs> Love you, Billy. Well, like I said before, we're going to have a little bit of a change of format. We did this the other year mm. where we had a. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of the old um, ghost story for Christmas. Oh, it's the you best. Know, a spooky yeah. story for Christmas. Uh, and so I've written a, a, a story specifically for Crack and Cove. Now, oh. this is a story I did start writing perhaps 10 years ago, Shit. something like that. And I don't know where it was, so I've actually written it completely from scratch <laughs> over, over the last two days for the Cove. Oh, well done. So, and We've I know both you both been working hard. <laughs> <laughs> Not the win! Fucking hell, fire! Unbelievable! You want to see this research, Benny did about nine lines on his fucking phone. How are you fucking bad? Oh, that's alright then, isn't it? <laughs> so. But yeah, I'm a massive fan of it. So I'm a bit, we've, we've talked about this before. The fact that we're, we're both big MR James fans, or as yeah. Ben calls him, Mister James. <laughs> God, I didn't, I didn't make. Oh, I'm out of med, Yeah, yeah. Go on, Mister James. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Mister James. We're both MR James fans, and of course, to keep an eye out. I know it's, I know it's a bit controversial. That it's always Mark Gatiss who keeps doing the kind of MR James stuff, the ghost stories for Christmas and things. But at least somebody's holding the torch for the for the Christmas. I like, you know, to me, I've got massive respect for him that he's making him. You know what I mean? I know. Some of it, like Sherlock got a bit weird and bits like that, but yeah, yeah he's good. He still does it. If I find him a fascinating blog, I could listen to him all day. There's just something really weird and mischievous yeah, and evil about there him. There is, yeah. He's like, I can't think of anyone else as Mycroft now. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. From the Sherlock Holmes stories, yeah, yeah. he is Mycroft. To yeah, me. definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's something about him. He's got a Machiavellian streak to him. Yeah, you know, yeah. Man, yeah. And I sort of like that about him. Um, but because. What we tend to do is we tend to look at the ghost stories of Christmas's past and stuff, and that's what we we keep going back to. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Was it by um, was it Snow 
remember that story? Oh, Snow, Silent Snow. Yeah. Fuck me. Absolutely astonishing. He just stays with you forever. Yeah, Yeah. it's a story. And it's these short stories for Christmas, something you can dip in and out of, um, which I find a great tradition, really, really enjoy it. Uh, and as such, that's why I've written this story. Mm. So it is a proper proper ghost story for Christmas kind of thing. Uh, or a, a, not a ghost story, it's a spooky story, a scary story for this, this Christmas. Something in, in this sort of like style of M.R. James. So um, it might not be for everyone. Mm. Um, I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll see how long it goes. Take a look at the timer now. You'll see how long the podcast is. That, <laughs> that'll show you how long the episode is. <laughs> but it might be something, if you do like that kind of thing, Pour yourself a glass of something nice. Um, get yourself kind of settled down, uh, you know, and hopefully this will be the kind of thing you're after. Yeah. So um, this is a story, again, written by me, and it is called One for Sorrow. I am alone. As I close up the shop, lock the door, pocket the key, I am alone. As I wait in the wet and the wind for the tram to carry me home, In a line with others wrapped in gabardines against the icy chill, I am alone. Seated in the clanking, clattering carriage, the smell of wet clothing and unwashed humanity permeating the very air like a mist, squeezed shoulder to window pane by my fellow man, his skin mere fractions of an inch from my own skin, separated only by jackets, by shirt, by undergarment, Closer to another human being than I have been in many a year, I am alone. And one by one my fellow passengers alight, shuffling down from the tram into the growing night, and to be consumed by the crouching darkness without, until I am the only one left within the carriage, alone. The tram rattles obliviously onwards until I pull the cord and I alight at my usual stop the last before the terminus. The tram disappears and the wind and the rain immediately hits me in the face like a cutting rebuke, like a shocking slap to the face, and I immediately think of my long dead mother. Huddled against the gathering storm, I I trudge along a lane thickly clotted with the long fallen leaves of the sickly sycamores that lined the lane, the dark silhouette of a house looming ahead, the only house on the lane. My house. A lonely house. I climb the stair, fumble with the key, push open a door slightly swollen with damp and slam it hard behind me to ensure it closes, then once more turn the key in the lock. Hello, it's me, I'm home, I call out, as is my habit, but there is no one within to reply, no voice to greet me, no fire to warm myself beside. For I am alone. I climb the stair without removing my coat, for the house within feels colder than the storm without. Only this is a still cold, a lonely cold. I light the fire I prepared that morning in the grate, and only when it has taken and some warmth permeates the room do I take off my coat and hang it near the fire, where it presently is beginning to emit steam. I heat a kettle on the plate and look over the cold meal I laid out beneath a cloth that morning for my return. Meat and cheese, half a loaf, a bottle of porter, and I begin to eat. I rarely use the rest of the house when the cold weather sets in. I have little need for the other rooms. The room I use now was the nursery when I was a child, quite large and with enough space for most of my needs. 
bed, writing table, bookcase. My needs are few and frugal. It is easier and more convenient to heat only one room during the bitter months, and it is not as if I'm expecting guests. No one trudges up the leaf-littered lane except I. No one enters this house except I. I only have half the heart to eat half the meal, my mood getting the better of me once again. Some are suited to being alone, some simply tolerate it. Me, I cannot bear it, but bear it I must. I'm an only child. My father died before I was ten, my mother before I was twenty. Neither showed love, perhaps more the opposite, but at least they were there. And when they were gone there was no one, and my loneliness began. With the money left to me I purchased my shop, the one that claims to sell jewellery, but in truth offers mostly trinkets, baubles and plate. I have always had an eye for nice things. The better pieces in Mother's jewellery box were always of great interest to me, and with no other direction after she passed I decided to pursue a career in the selling of such things, but sadly I struggled to sell the quality pieces, perhaps due to my inherent shyness and discomfort in the company of others, and eventually the items in my window became cheaper, the diamonds replaced by glass, the silver with pewter. Trade did not pick up. I had hoped the Christmas season might attract more custom, but it did not happen. The crowds continued to pass without a glance, and month by month the rent on my premises continued to nibble away at what little inheritance was left. My shop, like I, failed to attract the attention of those around me, both of us gently descending into a steady and inexorable decline. The same shyness and awkwardness that thwarts my business life equally thwarts my social life. I just do not have that happy knack of befriending others, and do not have the sort of countenance that attracts others to him. I am a bit part in the play of life, a face in the crowd, a passing figure exiting stage left as the stars perform their roles in the limelight. I feel like a ghost. Rain hits the window pane like a handful of tossed shingle, raising me from my glum reverie. The storm outside is growing, and I hear the sycamores thrashing in the lane. The heat from the fire is now beginning to fill the room at last, but does little to reach the chill within my heart. I pour myself a little brandy, and stare into the flickering flames. I must have dozed. The wind has abated, and a glance outside shows that the rain has become a sleety snow, gathering in wet lumps upon the window ledge. I let out a small shudder and began to draw the curtains, but I pause. There is something upon the ledge, half buried in the slush. A bird. I lean closer and see that it is a magpie, its black and white plumage almost, but not quite lost in the snow, its half-closed eye peering dully back up at me. We watch each other for a moment, the bird and I. Something almost passes between us, an understanding. The bird is near to death. The perch is its only shelter and a mean one for that, a place where the miserable creature will undoubtedly expire in the cruel weather that engulfs it. I feel pity for the bird, realising that its passing will go unnoticed by everyone, by everything but I. 
Its end will be a bleak one, quiet, unassuming, and miserable. Without quite knowing why, I fumble for the latch, and with a little difficulty lift the sash window a crack. The wind whistles in, a flurry of fat flakes follow, and suddenly I am intimately close to the magpie on my windowsill, perhaps a foot away from the thing. Its wet feathers reflect my firelight with a green glint, but it does not stir. I watch it for a moment longer, then I come to a decision. I go to a cupboard and draw out a shoebox from within. I find a pencil in a drawer and push holes through the thick cardboard of the box. Into the box I place three or four old handkerchiefs, softening the interior. Then I return to the window. The bird has not stirred. Nervous, never having done such a thing before, I reach out and cup the bird within my hands. It is cold and unmoving. I gently place the bird in the box, and beside it I put a crust of bread from my dinner plate. Then I place the lid on the box. I close the window, shutting out the frigid draught. I place the shoebox close enough to the fire for warmth to reach, but not so close that it might kill the bird if it was still alive. For a long while I sit in my chair and watch the box, listening intently. There is no noise. The fire crackles and the wind moans beyond the glass, and gradually my head begins to nod to my chest. I wake to the cold light of morning oozing between the partly drawn curtains. The room is cold now, and I shiver in my chair, my breath visible, the ashes in the grate barely warm. For a moment I am bewildered, and the memories of the previous evening return sluggishly, but upon remembering I quickly glance at the shoebox near to my feet. The lid is partly removed. A glance within reveals it to be empty. The bird and the crust of bread are gone. I feel a slight shock, something akin to fear, but I glance around the room and I see the magpie. It is perched upon the post at the foot of my bed, preening itself quietly. I remain motionless, watching it. It watches me. With a light click of claws, it dances along the wooden rail, coming slightly closer, eyeing me with a tilt of its head, with a ruffle of feathers. I think for a moment, deciding the best course of action. Slowly I rise and walk to the window, which I draw upwards. Cold air seeps in. Outside, all is still. A thin layer of snow coats the land. Pools of slush-tainted water lie blackly in the lane, and distant sounds of the town awakening drift to my ears, muffled and indistinct. Out you go, I whisper. But the bird does not move. Shoo, I say. But the magpie remains on its perch. It slowly tilts its head towards the table. I follow its gaze I see the remains of my previous evening's meal. A slice of cold ham lies there, discoloured along the edge by exposure to air, looking singularly unpalatable. I tear the meat with my fingers and lay the slice upon the sill by the window. Out you go, I say again, and the bird responds. 
With a flutter of wings, it leaps from bedpost to sill, snatching the meat in its black beak. Once again, it fixes me with a stare. Then slowly, strangely, it seems to bow to me, all the while holding my gaze. And then, with an explosion of wings and air, it is gone, hurtling into the morning with a swooping flight to alight in one of the sycamores by the lane. It glances back again, emitting a clattering cry. Then it is gone. I close the window with a strange mix of emotions within me. I feel... exhilarated. Something new has happened, something unexpected. A break from the lonely tedium and grind of my everyday existence. I feel somehow more alive. I've done some good, no matter how small the act may be. And feeling uplifted, I go about my morning routine with extra purpose, preparing the things I will require when I return home that evening. The day does not go well, as per normal, and my happier mood does not last past lunchtime. Once more the people in the high street walk past without a glance. Once more I close the shop with less money than when I started the day. In a dark mood, worry for my future dogging my every step through the greyish slush on the lane, I return home. I stare into the flames from my chair, my meal uneaten, worrying, worrying, unable to think logically. The shop will be forfeit. My childhood home will be sold. I will be destitute and penniless and friendless and alone. No one will know, no one will care. I will die in a doorway and be buried in a pauper's grave without a post to bear my name to recall my passing. Dark thoughts envelop me. At first I think the rain or sleet has resumed, but the tap, tap, tap on my window is more rhythmic, more persistent. I glance across and there is something out there, something on the sill. It is the magpie. Its feathers gleam brilliantly, its bearing is proud and strong. Tap, tap, tap on the window with its beak. I rise from my chair and consider the creature. I am amazed, but also wary. Have I unwittingly created a burden for myself? Have I encouraged a pest? but I realise that I do not care. I open the window some six inches and the bird hops in. He eyes me. He takes a bow, then glances at my uneaten meal. I tear off a piece of cold mutton and offer it to the bird, which it takes from my fingers with a singularly careful action, delicate and somehow respectful. It swallows the morsel down. I offer it a piece of bread, and this it takes, holding it aloft. I offer more, but the magpie steps away, seeming to shake its head. I could swear the bird is declaring that what I have given is sufficient. It is not greedy. And then it bows once more, and I find myself bowing back. And then it is gone through the window once again. I find myself laughing, shaking my head at this peculiar scenario. I go to close the window, but a gleaming on the window ledge stops me. I reach out into the cold air and feel something colder. 
I draw it in, close the window, and take the object nearer to the lamp for a closer look. I brush off some clumps of frozen snow and I catch my breath. A jewel lies in my hand. It is a brooch of gold and of some antiquity. It is set with good rubies and diamonds. The hallmarks are vague, early examples, but I perceive them to be mid-17th century in date. I'm dumbfounded. I recall that magpies have an eye for shiny things, that they are in habit of lining their nests with trinkets that glimmer, and even such things as spoons or coins that catch their eyes. This jewel must surely be from its little hoard, kept perhaps in the hollow of a tree, and as thanks for saving it and feeding it, the bird has paid me handsomely with perhaps its greatest prize. The next morning, I go to my shop early, clear the window display, and make room for the brooch. I have an idea of its worth, perhaps quite a pretty penny, so mark it accordingly. Not an hour passes before the door opens and a gentleman enters. He inquires about the brooch, and I show him the piece. He marvels, eyes wide, and within a minute he's leaving with a piece wrapped, a fine gift for his wife, or perhaps more likely his mistress. But nevertheless, the transaction is completed, his receipt filed, and I am able to breathe more easily than I have in many, many months. I return home that evening with a much lighter heart. I eat my meal by the fire as I usually do, but do not quite finish it, leaving a little on the side of my plate. I don't really expect anything more to happen, but nevertheless I leave a crust and some meat on the happenstance that tap, tap, tap on the window. Upon opening I see my pied friend there, head cocked, eyeing me. I bow. It bows. Then carefully it drops an item it has been clutching carefully in its black beak. In return I present the bread and the meat. He consumes the latter immediately, then lifts the crust, bows, and flies away. I pick up the jewel he has left me. It is a ring. I wipe away a thick layer of grimy earth and inspect it with trembling fingers. It is thick, heavy, and gold, with a large cut diamond set within. Again, its provenance is uncertain, but I know quality when I see it. It is a ring for a little finger, but it is of great quality and the diamond alone is of unusual size and value. I mutter a small prayer of thanks out loud. I had all but forsaken any higher being, but surely this is a sign I am not altogether forsaken. Over the next week or so, the pattern continues. Around seven o'clock each evening, there is a rap on the window. The magpie and I go through our accustomed formalities, bowing, exchanging gifts. From me, bread and meat. From the bird, a beautiful jewel. And then the bird departs. A bracelet, a timepiece, a lady's engagement ring. Piece after beautiful piece is presented to me at the window, and each morning I place the piece in my shop window where it promptly sells with great speed. 
Sometimes the magpie enters my room and hops around, seeming to enjoy warming itself by the fire. It never outstays its welcome, however. It remains the perfect house guest, only staying a short while, only eating the meals gifted to it, always leaving a wonderful gift upon its departure. In a short time, I find myself out of the financial difficulty I'd been in. I feel so much lighter of heart, and not because my money worries have vanished. It is because of the little creature's company. I finally have a visitor, a house guest. Brief though the visits are, they are regular and something to look forward to. In such short order, my life has changed. After perhaps 10 or 12 visits from my faithful friend, I wait at the window with great expectation, and sure enough there is a tap, tap, tap on the glass. I open the window and bow, and the magpie does the same. I present him with a thick sliver of beef and a wide chunk of bread, and it carefully places a shining item on the window ledge before it consumes the meat, picks up the bread, bows and departs. I laugh with sheer delight and pick up the jewel that the bird has left there. It is a ring. My laughter stops. The ring is silver, of beautiful craftsmanship and set with incredible rubies, the like of which I have never seen. It is really a one-of-a-kind item and of great value. But the ring appears to be covered in fresh blood. I must drop it, but do not. I know its value, and to drop it might be to lose it between the floorboards or under the skirting. But where did the blood come from? What might it mean? But I firm myself. No, it's patently the bird's blood. Perhaps it had had a close call with a cat and sports a wound. Or it could be that the magpies had been at a freshly killed creature somewhere, perhaps a rabbit, and blood lingers upon its feathers. Yes, that's the explanation. Yes. I settle in front of the fire, as is my custom, and later I go to bed, but my sleep is not an easy one. The next day the cleaned and polished ring promptly sells for a handsome price, and I arrive home feeling one small light of heart, perhaps almost carefree. I go through my usual routine, preparing for my visitor, but before the usual time, I hear a knocking. I pause and listen, and there it is, a heavy knock-knock-knock-knock. At first I am puzzled as to the source of the noise, so unaccustomed am I to receiving visitors, but I realise the knock is at my own front door. I walk down the stairs slowly, feeling strangely disturbed, and hover in the hallway. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. I now see a figure on the other side of the glass plane that is set into the door. It is indistinct, obscured by the patterned glass, but a figure is definitely there. I should hurry and open the door, but something stops me. I try to figure it out, but what is it that's, that stays my hand? And then I realise it is pure fear. I find myself shrinking back from the door, clutching the banister post, wishing the dark figure at the door would just leave, go away back into the night, never to return. Knock, knock, knock. 
I flinch with each rap. Go away. Go away and leave me be. Knock, knock, knock. I pray silently, wishing the visitor would just go. Then a hand slaps against the glass. I stifle a cry. It is a woman's hand, I think. The left one, although it's hard to tell. The hand pulls itself slowly down the glass, leaving behind a trail of dark blood where the ring finger should be. And then it is gone. I sit shakily upon the stair. Did it really happen? Did, did I just imagine this horrible event? I look back at the door and see in the dying of the light the smear of dark blood, and I know it was no fantasy. Perhaps an hour later there is the familiar tap, tap, tap on my window. And for the first time I feel a great reluctance to answer the call of my new friend. But I know I must. I draw up the window with a shaky hand. We go through our little ritual, the bows, the meat, the bread, and then a small item is placed with tenderness upon the sill before the magpie departs. It is a brooch, this one of jet, a stunning piece. It is caked in dirt, and I feel loath to handle it, so I pick it up in a fold of handkerchief. It is a mourning piece, as was brought into fashion by our late Queen Victoria, and is set in a stunning silver mount. I turn the piece and find attached to its back a shred of cloth, a rotten piece of black silk, and its smell is of death. This item I drop to the table. I cannot bear to touch it. A cold wind blows from the open window, moaning. As I go to close it, I see something in the lane. A figure stands in the shadow of a sycamore. I gasp and take a step backwards. What can it mean? Who is this? I turn the knob of my gas lamp to its lowest, darkening the room, then step forward once again peering around the curtains out into the lane. The figure remains. But then I see another, and another, by a bush, against the wall, near my gate, behind a tree, figures lurk, still and watchful, some dozen of them. I suddenly feel a rush of anger and indignation. Who are these people to stand outside my house? They have no right to be there. Stealing myself, I push open the window further and I shout, You! You there! Who are you and what do you want? I see you! Don't think I do not! Be off with you before I summon a constable! The figures do not move. Or perhaps they do. They seem to sway a little. And do my ears deceive me, but I do I hear soft moaning. I slam the window shut and snatch the curtains closed. But that night, I do not sleep a wink. I sit up, feed the fire, my mind whirring with thought. What can this mean? What might they want? Why have my circumstances, which were once so dire and have finally tipped in my favour, why do they now take such a strange and unsettling turn? I ask these questions to myself over and over again. But only one answer repeats itself. The Magpie. 
As dawn's light stains the horizon, I dare to peep out between the curtains. The lane is empty, devoid of any lurking denizens. I hear a clattering noise, and in the tree beyond my window, I see the magpie. I grab my coat and my hat and descend the stairs. The blood on the door has dried from red to a horrible encrusted brown, and I almost dare not look at it. I stumble into the lane, my eyes cast upwards into the trees, in time to see the bird flying from tree to tree away from me, busy and searching, seemingly unaware of my presence. I decide to follow it. The bird passes over waste ground, over gardens, eventually to light on a soot-blackened low wall, its cry clatters, head dipping, eye tilting, surveying the scene on the other side. Then it drops from view. I hurry to the wall and grip the edge, and with some effort stealthily pull myself up to glimpse what might be on the other side. Half of me has already guessed. The magpie hopped from grave to grave, busy and inquiring. It seems to have some agenda, some purpose, a criteria it requires to do its business. Molehills litter the graveyard so thoroughly that they seem to be more earth mounds than grass present, although here and there a new gravestone shows itself between the rotten tooth stumps of the old. Hopping along the ground, the bird finally selects a molehill it deems favourable to its knees. With its busy beak, it turns the soft, fresh soil of a hill until, with a dart, it disappears. I watch on, astonished. Presently the bird reappears. It shakes the loose soil from its feathers and surveys its surroundings. I duck behind the wall, horrified. It is holding something golden and gleaming within its beak. I do not open the shop that day. Instead, I brood in my room, trying desperately to decide on what course of action to take. As what sun there was descends below the horizon, I hear soft rapping upon my door, growing to a frenzy of knocking, so loud that I can barely hear myself think, hear myself screaming, and I block the sound with both hands, crawling beneath my bed like a fear-maddened child, curling up and howling, completely overwhelmed by the horror of it, the knock, 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 knocking. And then the knocking stops, only to be replaced by the tap, tap, tapping of a beak against glass. I lay beneath my bed, unmoving. It is the most horrible feeling. Mixed in with the monstrous terror, I also felt that I was betraying a solemn pact. The bird only sought to bring me something to ex exchange for food. There surely was no malice in the act. The gifts it had brought me had helped me. Indeed, the monetary value of the gifts were on a par almost with the other gift it brought me, that of company. But now it brought other company, unwelcome guests, the like of which I dare not guess, for fear they would bring with them permanent insanity. The tapping on the glass becomes more insistent. There follows a clattering shriek, almost like rage. I dare look out from beneath the bed, and there is the magpie, on the other side of the glass, staring right at me with something akin to fury. 
It stares mercilessly and I quail beneath that horrible gaze. Then it shrieks once more and in a flurry of feathers is gone. I drag myself trembling from beneath the bed. I grab at the curtains to close them but before I do I notice two things. Firstly, the figures swaying in the lane, and secondly, the gleam of gold upon my window ledge. The next day at dawn I hurry to the shop, carrying two items in a handkerchief within my pocket. I go through the receipts of the previous day, taking note of each address, and set out into town, feeling both grimly determined and also teetering on the brink of madness. At each house I demand the return of a particular jewel. I lie, I demand, I howl, I cajole. In one case, I even snatch the piece from the hands of a, of a protesting patron and flee, my footsteps clattering on the cobbles as his cries of protest echo after me. I write checks I cannot pay, make promises I cannot keep. I threaten and I plead and eventually retrieve all the jewellery the magpie has given to me, every last piece. The sky is beginning to darken as I hurry to the graveyard, and once there I realise I did not know what to do, how to go about returning the treasures, and eventually I begin to sob. I take handfuls of the gold, silver and diamonds and just hurl them into the graveyard, howling, Take them! Take them back! Take everything, but for the love of God, leave me be! And then I run. Run as if the very devil is at my heels. Run as the darkness slowly closes in on me. Back to the house that I will have to sell. Back to the temporary sanctuary of home. I cower upstairs, waiting, praying. And no knocking comes. But at the usual hour, there is a tap, tap, tapping on my window pane. It was inevitable. I calmly open the window, and my friend hops in and bows, and I bow back. I offer a tender strip of roast chicken, and the magpie daintily accepts. I then offer a crust of bread, and as the magpie reaches to take the bread, I snatch it up swiftly with my other hand, and in one quick motion, I snap its neck. It is the most horrible thing I have ever felt or done in my entire life. I then sit by the fire, the magpie laid in my lap, and as I gently stroke its white and black plumage, I sob so heavily I feel my chest might burst wide open. The next day I take the body of the magpie wrapped in the handkerchief to the graveyard, and using a trowel I brought with me, I dig a small grave and tenderly place the bird within it. I stare at the little mound for a while and attempt to say a prayer, but I fail. Instead, I return home. Darkness comes and all is silent. I rise from the chair with a sigh and go to close the curtains. Then I freeze. On the windowsill, I notice something glittering, something golden. I think back to the previous evening, the dreadful deed, and realise there was a part of our little ceremony that I'd quite forgotten about. We had bowed, yes. The magpie had eaten, as usual. 
but in my haste to get the awful act over with, I had forgotten about the other part of the bargain, the magpie's gift. And as I stare at this wonderful thing, a pocket watch of exceptional quality and value, I hear a noise behind me, and I realise I am no longer alone. Wowzers! <laughs> Jesus, that was fucking good, man. That you really that? got yeah, it really got me. Well, fucking, especially that. I think oh, it's gonna go there. It's gonna go there. He didn't. That bit where we're going down mole hills in the grey. Dave Vampire. Tip tap and knock knocks and all fucking lurking about in lane and that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was cozy and atmospheric with that. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted. I wanted a yeah. proper cozy story. You know, oh, man. well done, Skip. That was really yeah. fucking good. That you got some talent. You you took all my fucking talent. You know? <laughs> oh, fuck all. I can't tell a fucking margarine story. <laughs> <laughs> you have got a talent, Arky. You're right, funny. Oh, I'll do. You're a funny boy. <laughs> you got, you got funny. Nah, chats. I'm re, I'm a re, I'm a Benny. I'm all right. Yeah. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. I <laughs> always have asking. Yeah. <laughs> it's done me well. No, honestly, that was fucking really good. That oh, well, like I said, I wanted, I wanted this a little sort of like a little finisher for sort of like uh, up to Christmas and stuff because we haven't been here so far. We'll go the extra mile. Exactly. No, two episodes with that little bombshell in it as well. Yeah. It's brilliant. Really cozy. So it's been a nice little cozy Christmas for everybody. Nice little Christmas story and stuff. Longer than I thought. Bloody hell, fire! Look at time, like you know what I mean? Yeah. What time is it? A long time. We've done an hour and forty. So what we'll do? We better leave you back to your Christmas anyway. Yeah, get on with yeah, it. Yeah. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Have a great one. Hopefully, we'll have a show before the New Year. Yeah. Um, but all it remains for me to say is a big bye bye from Matt and um, from Benny. It's a Merry Christmas, you fucking filthy animals. Have a good one. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Beautiful. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com On Twitter at Kraken Cove Or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod Ha ha! 